The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. this morning, if you will, to the back of the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews, and find, if you will, chapter 4. Last Sunday, we talked about Philippians 2, about the deity of Jesus Christ, under the theme, Jesus is L-O-R-D, Lord. And I believe with all my heart in the deity or the divinity or whatever description you want to use, that Jesus was 100% God, and you believe the same. But this morning, I want us to balance that if we can and talk about the other side of Jesus, that he also was 100% human, man. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, speaks to this. So look, if you will, in your Bible at this simple passage. Whoever the writer of Hebrews was, some of you asked me a few Sundays ago about this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord. You may think Paul wrote it. You may be right. I don't think he did, and I may be wrong. But it doesn't make any difference. It's the Word of God. And here's what chapter 4, verse 15 says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, dash, yet was without sin. We don't have a high priest who's unable to understand what we're going through down here, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just like we are, but was without sin. We live in a success-oriented world. By and large, our world rewards you if you're successful. It doesn't reward you if you fail. Just read the sports page tomorrow, today, and all the people who won yesterday, they get the headlines, and the ones who lost, they're in fine print or on the backside of the paper. We, by and large, reward success-oriented people. And most of you here this morning are success-oriented. You boys and girls want to make good grades in school. You mothers and dads want to have a success in your marriage. You want to be success with your investments. Most of us want to be successful in life. I don't like to fail in anything. My kids used to kid me for cheating when we played family games, and I probably did. I just don't want to lose. I want to win. I say all that to say that we basically live in a world that rewards success and does not reward failure. However, having said that, most of us have experienced as much or more failures as we have successes. 
Now, we don't do a lot of talking about that in church, and that's what I want to talk about this morning because maybe we've been together, all together too silent. We come to church talking about how to be a success in your prayer life, how to be a success in witnessing, how to be a success in missions. I believe in all that, but there are times in which I think we need to let God wrap his arms around us and say, look, I was tempted in every way, just like you were, except without sin. So what I want you to do this morning is look at Hebrews 4.15 in an effort to see when you and I feel like a failure. Two things I want to fix in your mind. Very easy to remember these, this little line. First of all, some illustrations of failure. I'm going to give you four. And secondly, some implications from these illustrations, and I'm going to give you four of those. So look with me, first of all, at some illustrations of failure, and of all things, in the life of Jesus. You say, now wait a minute, Charles. You can't get very far there. Jesus never fails. Well, if you let me explain what I mean by that, I would agree with that, but by and large, I don't completely agree with that. You see, I believe Jesus never fails to save when we ask him to. He never fails to hear us when we pray. He never fails to meet our need. But if he never fails, then he wasn't tempted like I am. Because I've failed a lot of times, and you have too. And the Bible says he was tempted in every way, just like we are. Let me give you four illustrations of that. Illustration number one is found in John chapter 3. It's the little Nicodemus episode. You remember when this man came to Jesus by night and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. Nobody can do all that you do except God be with him. And Jesus cut through all of that and said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Really born from above. As far as we know, now listen, as far as we know from the Bible, that night, Nicodemus didn't say, that's what I want, sign me up. Now you say, don't you know your Bible preacher? He came later with Joseph of Arimathea to have bury the body of Jesus after the crucifixion. I know that. I believe he was saved, but nothing in the Bible leads me to believe he was saved that night. Why? Knowing the Holy Spirit as you do, and knowing the Bible as you do, and knowing how that God gave us this revelation of himself, had Nicodemus come wanting to know how to be saved and Jesus told him he had to be born again, had he been saved that night, don't you think the Holy Spirit would have put it down there? Well, he didn't. So I think Jesus understands how we feel when he failed to reach an immediate convert. That is, the first person, the person there that he witnessed to, Nicodemus, as far as we know, he didn't fail to reach him. I could take you in Birmingham, Alabama, over the north side to the very corner on 16th Street and 11th Avenue, where the first time I consciously remember as a young boy, I was probably 10 or 11 years old, tried to witness to a friend. His first name was J.B. He was not a Christian. I was a Christian. I wanted J.B. to become a Christian. And I sat down there with a little Bible about the size of this one on the street, right on the curb. And I witnessed to J.B. as best I knew how, told him God loved him, Christ died for him, and I tried to get my friend to be saved. That's the first time 
I ever tried. And you know something? He refused. I failed. And I don't know that he ever became a Christian. I've lost track of him. But that was my first witnessing experience. God understands when you don't reach an immediate convert, God understands how you feel. Maybe you've tried to witness to a friend this week, last month. Maybe you plan to witness to someone this week. And they don't embrace you with arms wide open at school even and say, yes, and that's what I've been wanting to find out. Sometime we fail. Jesus understands. As far as we know, he didn't reach an immediate convert in Nicodemus. Now you may say, and I can understand this, at Charles at best, that's an argument from silence. And you're right. I can't prove that Nicodemus wasn't saved that night. But don't get the big head. You can't prove that he was. So let's move on. He didn't reach an immediate convert in Nicodemus. Move over to Mark chapter 10. That's the story there beginning about verse 17 of the rich young ruler. And here, the rich young ruler, you remember the guy that came to Jesus by night? Yeah. And he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus told him all the things to do. He gave him the commandments and he lied through his teeth. He said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Listen, dear friend, nobody's ever kept all the commandments. He was an arrogant, egotistical fool, but he still said that. And then Jesus said something to him. He didn't say to me. I doubt he said it to you when you became a Christian. He said, listen, go your way. Sell everything you've got, and then you can come and follow me. And the rich young ruler said, well, yes, sir, that's what I've been looking at. That's what he said. The Bible says the one who had come to Jesus inquiring about salvation, the one who'd been witnessed to by the greatest soul winner who ever was on this earth, our Lord himself, the Bible says he, the rich young ruler, went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And we might say in great possessions had him because he'd been enclutched by his own greed. And as far as we know, he's in hell today. Witnessed to by Jesus, but he went away sorrowful. Now do you begin to see when you try and do your best to do the will of God, do your best to witness to people and they don't respond He was tempted in every way, just like we are, except he didn't sin. A third illustration of failure in the life of Jesus is where you get closer home. His own apostolic band. You remember, 12 of them. We're told about the call of many of them. You can do an interesting Bible study sometime on all 12 of the disciples. And they followed Jesus, and for three years, they comforted with him. One of them, his name, Judas Iscariot. For three years, he heard the sermons. He heard the lessons. He saw the miracles. He observed his life. He traveled with him. He slept with him. He drank with him. He did everything with him. He was so trusted by the apostolic band, 
they even elected him treasurer of the group. But at the final day, when Jesus needed him the most, he sold, he betrayed his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. The Bible said he was eventually so overwhelmed with guilt and remorse, he went out and hanged himself. And he's in hell today. Even though he had been called by Jesus, he had companied with Jesus, he had been trusted by the disciples of Jesus, he heard him teach and preach and saw him heal, he did all of that. But he died and went to hell. Jesus didn't reach one of his very own. He became so despised, I've never met a man whose name was Judas. Have you? I don't, I've never met anybody who knew anybody whose name was Judas. We don't even name dogs Judas. And I love dogs. A despised name. And yet, he was right there next to him, one of the 12. So when your best friend lets you down, stabs you in the back, Let's betrays you. Remember, Jesus was tempted in every way, just like we are. One final quick illustration, and we'll look at the implications. But this is a passage that's not oftentimes looked at. It's the last paragraph of Matthew chapter 13. That chapter has more parables in it than any chapter in the Bible. But at the end of those parables, seven of them all together in Matthew 13... There's a little paragraph there beginning in verse 53 where Jesus goes back to his hometown, Nazareth. And you could expect that there's going to be a great evangelistic crusade in Nazareth. This is where he grew up, in the carpenter shop. They knew him from the time he was born as a little boy. They knew his mama, Mary, his earthly father, Joseph. They knew his brothers and sisters. And now he's come back. And verse 58 of Matthew 13 says this, listen. And he did not many miracles there. Where? Nazareth. Because, the NIV says, their lack of faith, or you may want to call it their unbelief. I rather think this might have been the second saddest day in the life of the Virgin Mary. The saddest, obviously, was at the cross when she saw him for six hours, impaled like a common criminal, and finally at three o'clock in the afternoon, crying out and dying. Obviously, for any mother, that'd be the saddest day. But second only to that, I think, is probably this day. Why? I have no question. Sometimes we glamorize the Christmas story. You know, that here's a young girl and a young man, Joseph and Mary, and uh, they're engaged to be married, and, and out of the blue, an angel comes and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. She said, oh, I can't. I've never had sex relations with a woman. Oh, don't worry about that. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and is going to impregnate your womb. Oh, okay. Thank you for letting me know that. I don't believe it was that way at all. It wouldn't have been that way with you. Any intelligent young girl that ever had that kind of apparition, that kind of dream, would have asked questions, much less her fiancé. Mary knew a miracle had really taken place. And she knew nothing immoral had taken place. 
but nobody else knew it. And for 30 plus years, she's lived there in that little town of Nazareth. If you've ever grown up in a little town, you know how everybody knows everything. She's lived there. Every time she'd come around, the women would kind of turn aside and, you know, they, and then when she'd walk away, she'd say, hey, there's Mary. You remember what happened to her? Yeah. You know, she had that kid out of wedlock. You know, she said the Holy Spirit, we know about I'm caricaturing it a little bit, but I'm sure this, it, she lived under a continual shadow. She was an immoral person. She knew better, but they didn't. And now, here's the time. Jesus is coming back to his hometown. And I can imagine as only a mother would, she would say, when they hear him preach, when they hear him teach, when they see the miracles that he does, they're going to know he really was the son of God. It didn't happen that way. When he got back, even his hometown people, he didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. What are we seeing? He was tempted in every way to get discouraged, to feel rejected, to know what it was when your best friends let you down. He was tempted in every way just like we are, yet he was without sin. Well, these are not the only failures we can find in the Bible. He didn't win Annas the high priest. He didn't win Pilate. He didn't win Barabbas. And there may be others, but this is enough for at least illustrations of failure to validate he was tempted in every way, even though he was God of very God, even though he was fully divine, he was also a human being, tempted like we are, yet without sin sin. Quickly, what are the implications of this that you and I can take home with us today? If that's the lesson, that's the truth of the Bible, and as best I know how to explain it, those things really did happen. Now, what are the lessons we can learn from it? Okay, number one, to fail is not to sin. So many times if we fail, we say, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? I must have done something wrong. There must be sin in my life. Not necessarily. Sometimes we fail because of sin. But all failure is not the result of sin. Jesus never sinned. And yet, he experienced the pain of failure. So, to fail is not always sin. I've tried to analyze it the best I can, and you may can add to this, the three or four reasons we fail. One, when we do wrong. If I do wrong, I deserve to fail, and I fail a lot of times. Sometimes we fail because of sin, but not all failures are the result of that. Sometimes our failures are not the result of personal sin. They're the result of personal inabilities. They're just certain things, times I fail, I, I, I just, I can't, things I can't do. Let me give you a perfect illustration. If you suddenly decided uh, you wanted Paula Cornegan to preach and you want me to play the piano, now that'd be really a change. <laughs> I want to tell you, she could preach a whole lot better than I could play the piano. I can't do it. I learned that when I was nine years old. I grew up right here in Birmingham, went to Martin Elementary School over the north side of town, my mother thought that every nine-year-old boy ought to learn to play the piano. 
So I took piano lessons. We went in the downstairs basement of Martin School. Old piano had been given to the school there. It was down there, and we had the old uh, Thompson red and white book. You remember it? Say, she, she, I'm telling you the truth. My, we were going to have a recital down at Forest Piano Company up on the third floor. My piece was the Elephant Walk. That was the name of it. Now, the Elephant Walk started on Middle C. After church, Paula can show you where Middle C is. Mayor can show you where anybody can play piano. If you don't know where Middle C is, you're in bedtime trouble. Well, it happened that on the piano that somebody had given us, the ivory was all off of Middle C. So when I sat down to play the elephant walk, I put my right thumb on that black, white key that's turned black, and I knew I could play it frontwards and backwards. I want you to know we got down to the Forest Piano Company up on the third floor. I had on my nice suit. My hair was combed. My mother and dad and about 50 or 60 other parents were out there. I went out there and bowed, and I came over and sat myself down. Whoa! I was in trouble. I looked from one end of that keyboard to the other, and every one of those keys were white. I hit one. I knew it was wrong, and I stopped. So I went over. I hit another, and it was wrong. I could tell it wasn't right. I hit a third one, and finally in the back of the room, the teacher said, Middle C, Charles, Middle C. I said, I know it, and I can't find it. <laughs> she walked down the front, put her little arms around me, and put this thumb, this very thumb right here on middle C. I didn't tell her, but she got out of my way and I played the elephant walk. I walked off that platform and I ain't never played the piano since then. <laughs> now you say, what are you saying in that silly, truthful story? I'm saying, that's not a gift God gave me. I can't do it. And I learned it fortunately early in life. Now, I do know where middle C is now, but that's all I can tell you. Now, I use that silly but truthful story to say there are certain things I fail in because I can't do. I can't play the piano. A lot of other things I can't do, things you can't do. And sometimes we fail because of sin. Sometimes personal inabilities. Sometimes we fail due to personal circumstances beyond our control. We just can't control it. And so we fail. You know what I'm talking about. Things in life that you face, that you, you simply can't control all the circumstances. I, many times as a pastor, I've tried to counsel with couples who are having marital discord and trying to help put the marriage back together again. You can't put a marriage back together again if both people don't want to do so. And so their personal circumstances beyond my control. I can't make it happen. I can't fix it. I'm a fix-it person. I like to fix that. I don't, I don't want to face anything I can't fix, but there are times I can't do it. You can't do it. Our hearts are broken. We fail, not because we don't want to do it. Personal circumstances beyond our control. And finally, sometimes we fail because of the personal will of others. Jesus never failed for these first three. 
He never faced any sin in his life. He never faced any inability, that he, things he couldn't do, any circumstances beyond his control. But oftentimes, Jesus failed and I failed and you failed because of the personal will of others. The rich man in Mark 10 went to hell because he chose to. He volitionally asserted his will over against what Jesus told him to do to be saved. Riches had him. They were God to him. And what I'm saying is, there are times we fail because of personal will of other people. We try, but we can't overcome their will quickly. Sometimes we fail because of personal sin. The second lesson I want you to remember is Success is a wonderful G-O-A-L, goal, but a terrible G-O-D, little g, God. It's wonderful to be success-oriented, but don't let it become your God. To have it as a goal, yes, but to have it as a God, no. Several years ago, I was invited out to a Midwestern state to preach at their state convention, and I'd never been there before, so I flew into the city and got a U-Drive-It car and went out. I found the church about an hour early. I went across the street. There was a Waffle House there. I got me a Diet Coke and I got my Bible and my sermon was going over what I was going to preach in about an hour. And while I'm sitting there, the waitress comes up and she says, oh, you must be a preacher. I said, why? Do I look sick? <laughs> no, I said, you've got a Bible. I said, Preachers, the only ones have a Bible? No, but then she said, you just kind of look like a preacher. I said, well, I hope that's a compliment. I don't know. And I said, I am. And I said, I'm fixing to go across the street and preach at the XYZ church. Oh, she said, that's my church. <coughs> and I thought, man, how lucky can you get? You met somebody that's a part of the church you're going to preach at. And I'd never been to that church before. And then she shot me out of the saddle. She said, Dr. So-and-so, who was a dear friend of mine, listen to this, has baptized me seven times. Now, after you've laughed, I want you to cry. That church had led the Southern Baptist Convention three consecutive years in baptisms. And every one of those years, that girl had been counted as a baptism. I looked at her and told her, I said, sweetheart, you can be baptized so you look like a prune. That's not going to take you to heaven. Only faith in and commitment to Jesus will do that. I wasn't ugly to her and I didn't scream at her like I'm screaming at you, but I, I tried to help her see. I don't know whether she was ever saved or not. I know she'd been baptized enough seven times. What had happened? A good thing, preaching and a good thing baptism had been prostituted in the name of running numbers up and being number one. Now listen, dear friend, I oftentimes say those who are running numbers down are not running numbers up. I believe in numbers. Every number represents a person for whom Christ died. But God forbid we would be so success-oriented we would prostitute even the ordinance of baptism in the name of being successful. Success is a wonderful goal, but a terrible God. Some people become so success-oriented 
They'll do anything. They'll make any compromises. They will manipulate anybody. They will run over anybody. Anything they have to do to get to the top. Don't ever be that way. That is not the way God intends for you and me to live our lives as Christians. Sometimes we fail and we learn to fail is not to sin. Sometimes success is a wonderful goal but a terrible God. But the third lesson I hope you'll remember is this. How we handle failure can very well determine our ultimate destiny. Every one of us that I know of have failed. Sometimes kids fail in school. Sometimes marriages fail. Sometimes we fail financially, vocationally. We have all know what it is to fail. How we handle failure can very well determine our ultimate destiny. Go back to that episodic band. We've already talked about one. Judas Iscariot, one of the members of the 12 disciples, betrayed Jesus, went out and hanged himself and went to hell. Simon Peter, same apostolic man, didn't betray Jesus, but he denied him three times. Jesus had told him, when the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. The Bible says all that happened was Jesus looked at him. Before lasers were ever invented, I imagine that laser eye of Jesus went right to Peter's heart. He looked at him. And then the Bible says about Peter in Matthew 27, he went out and wept bitterly. And a few weeks later, the man who had denied the Lord, the man who had had him look at him, the man who had gone out and wept bitterly, is standing on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, preaching a powerful sermon on the topic we preached on last Sunday, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 3,000 people are saved by a man who a few weeks later, but a failure. What am I saying? To fail today. How we handle failure can very well determine our ultimate destiny. Judas denied him and went to hell. Peter betrayed him. Uh, Judas betrayed him and went to hell. Peter denied him, was forgiven, and became a preacher and went to heaven. Quickly in closing, one other thing, one other lesson. It may be the most important of all. Success today does not predetermine success tomorrow. Sometimes you can be successful too early, too quick. I know people for whom success has made, made them an utter failure in life. Too much success too quick. I've known people who've gotten too much money too quick. If you have to question this, just read sometime the stories that sometimes come out in USA Today about people who won the lottery in other states where they have it. And millions of dollars and they're miserable. It has ruined them. Success today does not predetermine success tomorrow. And the fact that you're a dedicated Christian today doesn't mean you're going to be this way 10 years from now. We are that way if we continue to be faithful to the Lord. But you have a will in that. And if you violate God's holy word and standards, you too 
could become a fallout. Don't ever say, I could never do that. You're one step closer to doing it. Success today does not predetermine success tomorrow, but thankfully, listen, failure today does not predetermine failure tomorrow. If you and I fail today, it doesn't predetermine we're going to be failures forever. We're the recipients right now of the invention of Thomas Edison, the incandescent light bulb. He invented more things that I know of than anybody in American history. One time when he was trying to invent this light bulb that's giving us light in here, it wasn't successful. And his colleagues said, oh, Mr. Edison said, you failed again. He said, oh, no. I now know 1,101 ways how not to invent a light bulb. I like that. He kept on, keeping on, keeping on, and finally, he hit the key, and we have the light bulb. A more graphic illustration of that is, a few years ago, a couple walked the aisle of our church at Shades Man and gave me their hand. I'd been in their home. I knew them. In fact, uh, he owns the uh, Brandon Honda place out near Central Plaza now. Tom and Dixie Brennan walked down the aisle and moved their membership to our church. And they were coming, listen to this now, from the Village Baptist Church in Western Springs, Illinois, a suburb to Chicago. And when I read that on the card they had filled out where they were coming from, it rang a bell in my mind. And I, after the service, I said, Tom, I want to ask you something. I remember reading somewhere, and I told him what I'd read. Is this the same? Oh, yeah, he said, it's the same church. And what I remembered reading was years ago, I think it was 1944 or 45, that church had called a young preacher, the only church, only pastor he ever had. And he came there, and after about a year, he left, brokenhearted, feeling he was a total failure. Only church he ever had. Aren't you glad he didn't quit? His name? Billy Graham. Thank God. To fail today does not predetermine failure tomorrow. Let's bow together. With our heads bowed and eyes closed. As you evaluate your life, I know you've tasted failure like I have. We don't always respond to it well. Hopefully we can learn today that God understands. Jesus knows how you feel. Don't let the devil derail you and think you're a no good, good for nothing person. Keep on believing. God will answer prayer. Keep on believing. God's going to vindicate your love for him. And now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe you thought about it. Maybe you even tried it one time and you said, Brother Carter, it didn't work. I want to tell you, failure today does not predetermine failure tomorrow. If you genuinely commit yourself to Jesus as Lord, you can permanently be changed. You say, what do I do? In a moment when we begin to sing, just slip out from where you'll be standing and come. Give Brother Donna your hand. Give Jesus your heart. That's real success. Father, with all of our hearts, thank you for understanding us in our good moments and our weak moments. Thank you for being a God who not only is Lord God Almighty, but who also sent Jesus 
to identify with us, to be a human being, tempted like we are, but thankfully without sin. Many here today who need to make public decisions, motivate them by the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand together with us? And as we stand, Paula leads us. Don will be here at the front. We'll welcome you as you come on the very first stanza. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.